We're going to take a look today at Psalm 103. This psalm was written as a corporate worship song for the temple in the Old Testament. Corporate worship served to keep the focus on God instead of making the prayers of the Israelites focused on themselves and their wants and needs. How often do we begin to pray that we get so sidetracked by the grocery list or an errand that needs to be run or the laundry that needs to be done? By praying in corporate worship or by praying scripture back to God, we are doing that in private to keep our focus on Him and His sovereignty instead of us helps to keep our attention on that, that thing that we need to be focusing on. I want you to take 30 seconds, and I want you to count specifically the ways you've complained in the last 24 hours. Your hair, your lack of hair, your body shape, your kids, your husband. 30 seconds, go. Out loud? No. Oh. <laughs> That's a lot of complaining in this room. All right, well, I know some of you, if you're like my husband and Barry, they don't complain hardly at anything. I mean, it's just everything just rolls off their back. I, on the other hand, am the pessimist in our relationship and complain about a lot of stuff. And it really surprised me when I sat and thought about how many little insignificant things that just would they go through my mind, how irritated I would become or complain about them. I want you to take 30 more seconds, and I want you to go around the table and just verbalize, not your complaints, the number of what you came up with in your head. All right, I came across a sermon. I came across a sermon that a man named Ron Ritchie had preached. And a, a, a quote in here that he said was, We complain because we experience grief, pain, or discontent over people, places, and things. We complain because we do not believe God is really in charge, and he is working out his plan of redemption among us. About seven years ago, I lived in a house that had a huge Bradford pear tree in the front of it. Y'all know how Bradfords are. Big white blossoms in the springtime, and then a good breeze comes, and everything gets covered in them. We're sit sitting outside one day. I was watching my four-and-a-half-year-old play underneath that Bradford pear. She was running back and forth and back and forth in big circles and little circles all over the place. She was just so excited to be there. At that sight, I was just, my heart just ached on one hand, but it leapt for joy just seeing her contentment. Um, I was alone at that point. I was a single mom. I had a four-and-a-half-year-old and a, a two-year-old. And I was just not really sure what was going on with life and where I was going. I was in the midst of a Bible study that I was leading with a friend, and I was finishing up studying with it. And I'm just sitting there thinking about God and, and everything that he is and was in our lives. And I'm watching her run these circles round and forward and backward and all over the place. Um, as she realized that I was watching her, she's standing there with her arms up in heaven, just stretching out like she's trying to reach God. And she's standing there, and she's running and squealing in delight. And as she realized I was watching her, she stopped, and she looked at me. And she's standing there with her arms up, and she said, Look, Mommy, look, it's snowing. And she was just so excited. And granted, Bradfords do tend to look like snow in the spring when they're all over the place. She just seemed oblivious to everything and all the harshness that had gone on throughout the last couple of years of her life. And as I'm looking at that... I sat there and I felt God say in my spirit, that's you, daughter. You've been running in big circles and in little circles, forward and backward, looking for me and looking for my blessings, but I've caught you with my blessings, and all you have to do is stand and be still and catch them and accept them. If you'll take a look in Psalm 103 with me, 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. This is what we call an envelope psalm. It begins and it ends the exact same way. You've got your, your message that's contained within it. This one would be the praises of God, but it starts out and ends exactly the same way. Verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Each of my different titles or my names tells a little bit of something about me. I'm a women's ministry director. I'm a small group coordinator. I'm a wife, a mom, a daughter, a sister, a friend, a granddaughter. All of those different things um, describe a part of who I am. They don't, they don't define my whole being. Just one of them is not just who I am. I'm not just a mom, but I'm everything else in there with that. Um, Dr. Jerry Falwell had a sermon I came across that there's a man in there named Dr. Towns that was at his, um, taught in his Sunday schools. I don't know the name Jerry Falwell. People are just like, oh. But um, the, the book he's, books he's talking about here, uh, the names of Jesus, he lists over 700 names of Jesus that's listed throughout scripture. Another book, My Father's Names, he listed over 125 names of God the Father. And he listed over 125 names of the Holy Spirit. See, we can't know God just by one name that we call him. He is so much more than that, more than we can ever think or imagine. And by going through these scripture passages, it's teaching us different facets and different aspects of his, of his character and his benefits. Verse 3 says, who forgives every one of all your iniquities? Who heals each one of all your diseases? We're going to look at uh, the benefits of God, and we're going to look at the character of God today, and we're going to look back at our response to God. In the first section here with the benefits of God, one of those is forgiveness. The word iniquities is a strong word. It doesn't just mean our mistakes, the things that we mess up on. It has the, um, the definition of the innate wickedness or the um, innate unrighteousness that we have within us, our character. Um, sin is the offense against God or against a moral law, and it would be the things that we actually do and, and commit. God forgives our iniquities, all our ingrained perversity, all the bentness of our being, the wickedness that we're born with, and he forgives the offenses too. It's not just what we do, but it's our character that God forgives us for. In a well-known well -known poem entitled, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, Coleridge depicts a, 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 a ship that was sailing on the sea and they had um, an albatross that was following them. The albatross was a good omen and brought them good winds and as long as the albatross was with them and was flying, they had good winds. One of the sailors one day took out a crossbow and shot it. And as the albatross died, the winds died down. So the, the rest of the crew took the dead albatross, hung it around that sailor's shoulders as a reminder of his mistake and of his failure um, to honor that which was guiding them. Israel, too, could have had an albatross around her neck for all of the things and all the ways that she sinned against God and the ways that they kept turning from her. Um, they refused to honor the thing that, that was leading them and guiding them. What albatross do you have around your neck? What is it about your past, your actions, your behaviors that you're hanging on to? Are you hanging on to them just to remind yourself? Or are you truly going to accept God's forgiveness for those things that he's already said that he's forgiven you for? 
you'll turn to Psalm 106. I'm going to read verses 8 and 43 and 44. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake to prove the righteousness of the divine character, that he might make his mighty power known. Many times he delivered them, but they rebelled in their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he guarded their affliction when he heard their cry. I want you to fill in the blank there. Even though I have whatever it is in your life that you're holding on to, whatever the albatross is that you've got hanging around your neck, nevertheless, God has forgiven me. A second benefit of God that we have that we see here in this passage is healing. Healing comes in spiritual healing and in physical healing. Um, this passage in particular is talking about spiritual healing because David starts it out with, Oh, my soul. And he's talking to our spiritual being. And spiritual healing occurs when we accept the salvation that God has provided for us. Dr. Paul Brand wrote a book in 90, 1999 that was entitled Pain, the Gift Nobody Wants. He was a missionary's child. He grew up in India, and his parents worked in particular with, with those affected with leprosy. So he saw leprosy in his entire life, and there was a lot not known about it in the 70s when, um, when he was growing up, 60s and 70s. And he just began to wonder, well, why does this happen? What's really going on with it? You might think that their skin is bad. That was the common thought at the time. In actuality, it's a bacteria that can be treated with antibiotics. And what happens before they knew about the antibiotics is that the skin would lose circulation and thus the nerve endings would die. So they would not be able to feel pain. They felt no pain at all. And so he would see that they would lose their eyesight, their fingers, their toes, and nobody really knew why or what was happening to them. Once he made that discovery about the pain sensors not working, he decided he was going to do something about it. So he took their chewing muscles and attached them to their eyelids and taught them how to chew gum so that they could blink because they didn't feel when their eyes were dry, and so their, their body didn't respond by blinking to keep their eyes moist, and that's why they lost their eyesight. So he went further, and he said, why are they losing their fingers and toes? This seemingly happens overnight. You know, they'll have fingers and toes one night, they get up in the morning, and parts of them are gone, and they're, they're, they're not around. It's like they just fell off. So he commissioned a, a group of workers to go in and watch the lepers while they slept to figure out what was going on. What they found is that rats were coming in at night, and they were nibbling on fingers and nibbling on toes. But because the lepers didn't have pain sensors that were working, they didn't know it. And so they weren't swatting them away. Our spiritual life can be likened to that with a life of leprosy. Just like leprosy can be healed with an antibiotic, our spiritual can be healed with God and with his salvation that he's provided for us. But the effects that the lepers had with losing the eyesight and the fingers and the toes, if it wasn't treated properly, our spiritual life, if it's not treated properly, we have things that we have to deal with the effects for the rest of our life of things that we've done in the past, just natural consequences of those things. Second component to healing is a physical healing. Now, not always does healing happen here on earth. Sometimes um, God chooses to let us endure some type of physical problem um, here, and then the physical healing will happen um, once we die. If you will look in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. I'm just going to read it, so you don't have to flip there if you really don't want to. Verse 3, 
When I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. Then Psalm 38, 3 and 4 says, I've lost 20 pounds in two months because of your accusation. My bones are brittle as dry sticks. Because of my sin, I'm swamped by my bad behavior, collapsed under gunny sacks of guilt. This is the message version, so it's a little bit different than what most of y'all are reading, but I think it illustrates nicely here um, in words that we would typically not see in a traditional um, translation. Three and four, both, both chapter 32 and 38. I would dare say that most of us have been through some type of relationship breakup in our lives, whether it's a spouse or it is a boyfriend or girlfriend that we dated or it's a friendship that we've gone through. Some um, physical healing comes um, just because of a, as the fall um, and the sin that came into the world at that point. <sighs> Give me one second. Our bodies can physically carry around the weight of sin. Um, God doesn't always heal that here, and not every disease that we have or every problem that we have happens from sin in our life. But there are effects that our body sees that sin causes. Um, chemically, what happens? We've got two chemicals in our body. We've got a happy chemical called dopamine, and then we've got a trust chemical called oxytocin. Most mothers know that term because it's that bonding that happens when you have a baby. The oxytocin is released, and you, you really bond with that baby through that. Same thing happens when you're in a relationship. Think back to that relationship. The first few days, weeks, months that you're with someone, you can't wait to see them. You have five minutes, and you rearrange your whole day just to spend five minutes with that person. You can't wait to talk to them. You're on the phone till 2 a.m. It just goes, um, those, those, those chemicals increase. And what happens is you become addicted to the way the, Im- the chemicals increase. You can't wait to be around the person. So when you're around that person, your chemicals increase, so you want to be there. When you go away, the chemicals just naturally drop. So when you go through a breakup, what happens is those chemicals plummet, and you start searching for ways that you can make that chemical high happen in your body. A lot of times this is how sin comes into our lives, because it's lust, sex, food, drugs, alcohol. Those things can come into our life to try and fill that void from the high that we feel. I want you to think about, um, back up one second. Our bodies begin to see the effects next on our autonomic nervous system. What happens is we can have sleeplessness. We can have loss of appetite. We can have depression set in. We can have um, irritability. All those things can start happening when those chemicals drop and plunge. Now I want you to think about your relationship with God. What was it like the first few days, the first few months that you knew God? I'm sure you were elated. You just felt... Um, felt such a love from him that you had probably never felt before. I would like to liken our life, our spiritual relationship with him as to that earthly relationship. When we're living in that, our chemicals are high. We, we can't wait to be with him. Our, our trust chemical of oxytocin is increased, and we just can't wait to be around him. We can't wait to get into his love letters from us. When sin creeps into our lives, it's like that breakup. 
we're putting a wall in between ourselves and God. So that wall is going to cause us to have the drop in chemicals in our body that give us the feeling of contentment and the feeling of trust that we have with God. Guilt works over sin. Guilt works through sin, or sin works through guilt, to increase our stress levels. We start getting sleepless. We might snap at people. We start tearing people down instead of building them up. The cure is accepting what God is offering and constantly not running back to our guilt. We daily have to turn from ourselves and from the world and turn our focus back to him to keep that wall so we're not inhibiting those, those chemicals, reactions in our body. In Romans 12, verse 2, Paul says, Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level, God brings the best out of you, developing maturity in you. By changing the way we think, we can change that guilt in our life or the recurring issue that comes from the guilt and the things that we let pile up to the Father's forgiveness. And just as in spiritual healing, God is the answer and his forgiveness is the answer. But in order to start healing, we have to accept that forgiveness and the consequences that are going to come from the things that we've done in the past and the, the natural things that happen um, on, on earth here. In verse 4, it says, Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? A Sunday school teacher asked her kids one day, who knows the difference between kindness and loving kindness? Little girl spoke up and said, I do, I do. My mom, when I ask her for toast, if she fixes it, that's kindness. But if she fixes it and gives it to me with butter and jam, that's loving kindness. And we can see our father like that, that he doesn't want to just give us toast. He wants to give us the extras on top of it, the sweet things in life that just really enhance our life. We have to accept them and quit keeping that guilt as a reminder of what we've done in the past because he's forgotten it and there's no reason for us to hang on to it. The second component that we're going to look at today is God's character. One of those things that we're going to look at is his compassion. We need to be um, looking at his compassion, accepting his compassion, but we also need to be reflecting his compassion out to those around us. The last couple of weeks have been really rough. My grandmother had a stroke three weeks ago, passed away two weeks ago, and then last week we were up in Iowa for her funeral. The day before we got ready to leave, I had to run some errands and get things ready to go, and I'm going to start crying if I look at Julie. I headed into Target. We had gone out to eat, Keith and I and the kids. Had my leftovers in a box beside me. Pulled into Target, and there was a young girl sitting on the side of the road there in the parking lot just head down in her lap, just looked dejected and, and, and broken. You could see a cardboard sign laying on the ground beside her, and I assumed that it was one of those typical signs, help, need food, need money, those kind of things. I like to think I'm a pretty compassionate person when somebody needs something, but I typically don't respond when I see those kind of people. Um, the, the questions and the doubt usually come into my mind of, you know, are they really, really that bad off? Well, as I pulled further into the parking lot, I heard God say to me, go and give. And I thought, she's not going to want my box of leftovers sitting here 
on the sofa, on the side of my chair. I'm going to run in Target. I'm going to get her something else, and then I'll come back out. Well, I just ran in, and I had to try on a bathing suit because we were leaving the next morning. We had a swimming pool at the hotel. The kids wanted me to go swimming with them. So I spent about 15 to 20 minutes in Target by the time I tried that on and went and got the other things that I was taking back out to the young girl. I get out in the parking lot, drive back out to the front, and she's gone. At that point, I began to cry. I felt so grieved and heavy in my spirit that I did not obey when God called me to obey. I did not go. I did not give. And most importantly, when he told me to tell her I love him, I didn't have that chance because she was already gone. I sat in the parking lot and bawled for a good 10 minutes, just crying out, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please don't let me forget this compassion. Let me be spurred on by this compassion to have this in my daily life. I drove up and down Hickson Pike for 30 minutes, I mean 153 for 30 minutes looking for her. Took side roads off. I thought maybe, maybe God's going to give me a second chance. Unfortunately, that day, I didn't get a second chance. So I would encourage you when God speaks to go, to give, to tell them he loves them, reach out in compassion immediately and not wait for our little inconveniences that we think we have to have. Verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. The Literary Digest, September 1923, says history knows no disaster which parallels the earthquake and fire that visited Japan this month and laid waste to the capital city and many of the seaport cities. The New York Tribu Tribune called it the undoubtedly the greatest disaster in recorded time. Covered 45,000 square miles, seven million people were affected. The Red Cross and Herbert Hoover estimated that almost 300,000 were dead and two and a half million were homeless. Those who lived through those awful tremors and the fires, it seemed like they were gonna perish with starvation or disease with the things that run rampant after those typical natural disasters. But they didn't. Why? Because America st stepped in. We raised so much money and support to send over there. They were very grateful, and they put their appreciation in writing, and they said, Japan will never forget. Yet less than 20 years later, they sent their planes to Pearl Harbor and caused destruction and death there in Pearl Harbor. If we put ourselves in the story between Japan and America, who would we be? Are we Japan? Are we America? Are we sending, are we helping the aid, I'm sorry, receiving the aid that God is giving to us? Or are we like Japan and we forget the things that he's done for us in the past and we turn our back on him? Or we just might not give him first place in everything that we do. Verse 11 goes on to say, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. There was a wealthy English merchant who lived in Europe, and he had a, a Rolls Royce. He just loved that car. Well, it broke down one night. It was on a bumpy road, and it 
the axle broke. So he had it shipped back to England to the Rolls-Royce plant. A few, week, few days later, he got it back. It was a very quick turnaround for the service, but when he got back, there wasn't a bill with it. So he called the company. No, we don't see anything. He thought, well, maybe his paperwork hasn't caught up. So he waited a few more weeks, called them again, and they said, nope, I'm sorry. There's no record of any Rolls-Royce ever having had a broken axle. This is an example of a, of a company with such high standards that they refused to accept that workmanship or quality of products could ever be wrong. The excellence of Christ does not permit our flaws to be known to the Father. He completely wipes them away. Our flaws are just not even made from us to God. Jesus is that intermediary that refuses to accept the flaws in our character or in our workmanship. I'm going to read through verses 13 through 22 if you want to follow along. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him with reverence, worship, and awe. For he knows our frame. He earnestly remembers on his heart that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To keep, to such as keep his covenant, meaning to hear it, to receive it, to loving it and obeying it, and to those who earnestly remember his commandments to do them, our response to God is, this, this is my insert here, our response to God is our sincerest praise. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over it. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his word. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Just as with any other relationship in our life, in order to know God more, it takes work and it takes time. But as we invest that time in word, in his word and in prayer, we get to see the many facets of his benefits of his character, things that we don't, wouldn't know about him unless we're actually in his word. And as we get to know those different character traits and those different facets of his personality, we see how all creation praises him, and our only natural response should be the outflowing of our praise back to him. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. So what can we take away from this passage today? We can know God's benefits are forgiveness and healing. We can know God's character is compassion, mercy, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. We also can share God with others and know that that praises him. Personally, we can remember the good and forget the bad because he already has. We can accept the forgiveness to heal our sin and its effects in our life, and maybe the other manif physical manifestations that we've been holding on to. We can go 
we can give and we can tell them that he loves them.